Impact leadership. What does it mean to wake up each day knowing your work, effort, and passion is being transformed into creating change that makes a difference in your business, organization, community, and your own life experience? And it can be hard to stay on track when at times the winds do not blow in your direction. But you persevere one step forward at a time, creating something better. This is fulfillment in action. And this is passion for impact. Educating, empowering, and elevating social consciousness in people, business, and teams. One inspiring conversation at a time. Passion for Impact is brought to you by Rock Your Leadership. We train leaders on how to grow success, drive change, and not burn out. Visit passionigniter.ca for more details. This is the Passion for Impact podcast with speaker, trainer, and socially conscious advocate, Tricia Miltimore. Happy Pad is founded on the idea that renting is something more than just a transaction. It's a way for people to connect, to make memories together, and live in a space they feel happy in. Kaylin Libby is the founder and CEO of Happy Pad, where he is helping lead Canada's transition towards a shared housing economy to help address the housing crisis. Kaylin is an electrical engineer, athlete, academic alt-Canadian, and mentor for student entrepreneurs. He loves to solve difficult problems that benefit society. Yeah, that's why he's on Passion for Impact. Uh, Happy Pad is the embodiment of his vision to address housing challenges and social inclusion, creating more sustainable cities. He does this by empowering people to connect with compatible housing companions, creating vibrant and rewarding home environments. Oh, it's so cool. Lots to kind of um, dissect here. But Kaylin, thank you for being on Passion for Impact. I so appreciate you being here and I can't wait to hear all about your story. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you, Tricia. I'm very pleased to be here. And happypad.com is the website for anyone who's listening or if you're at your computer, you can go check it out as we kind of chat it up. But Caitlin, how did you go from being an electrical engineer to the CEO of HappyPad? Share a little bit about that story because uh, I think that's a very, there's probably some really interesting points in there. <laughs> Absolutely. It was certainly not a linear path or what most people would expect. So my background is in electrical engineering. Um, Previous to my studies, I had worked in industrial automation for a number of years, setting up factories and commercial industrial electrical systems and things like that. So very, very different from working on social challenges and particularly housing. But I've always had this passion for housing. My father was a developer, a home builder. So through my childhood, I always grew up walking through construction sites and seeing these homes being developed um, all over our community. And it really gave me like an inside idea of what housing is. Like there's this manifestation of of what it becomes, but also becomes an embodiment of the community in a way. So I've always seen housing as more than just structures, but having a, a greater purpose. So the whole story of Happy Pad really started after I uh, graduated from UBC Okanagan uh, studying electrical engineering. My uh, supervisor at the time, Dr. Kenneth Chow, uh, we worked together on some research. We filed a patent together and had this you know, very technical project we worked on. But after completing that, we realized that you know, we put a lot of effort into this, but it doesn't really help anyone. All the rights to our work went to the oil giants and it's being commercialized. 
but it doesn't really help society. You know, we don't get any long lasting um, senses of gratification from it. So then we thought, well, what if we divert our efforts moving forward onto things that actually help society, that have some sort of lasting impact? And that's where the idea of working on housing originally came from. And uh, at that point in time, this is going back to 2017, we thought we'd work on streamlining the process for renters to find housing. And we created a a rental app, which we did call HappyPad at the time, quite different from what we do today, but that was like eBay for renting, which allowed renters to essentially send offers in on rental properties and landlords to filter through and they would choose a winner. And we thought this would help with the transparency of the process. But fast forward about a year and it failed. We realized that this wasn't really solving the problem and there's an overabundance of websites that just repost the same rental listings. And none of these really help the problems. In fact, we felt this was perhaps exacerbating the existing issues we saw. So then we took some time off and um, I love this story. I was uh, spent some time in the United States and I was studying to write my um, insurance license. And one of the requirements is to read a Canadian textbook about population trends and aging. And in there was a chart showing the projected population distribution uh, forward to the year 2050. And what this shows is the boomer population is becoming the largest proportion of, of our society, meaning there's more older people than younger people. And these older people own majority, you know, upwards of 80% of the housing assets. So this became alarming to me and I thought, wow, we're heading down a a bad path. Now there's got to be a a correlation here between the housing stock, these people, and this is where the idea of home sharing came about. Now home sharing is nothing new, but this really got me excited about this because I realized this is an opportunity that is not so foreign, but there's a huge untapped potential here. So at the, after that road trip, I came back to Kelowna and I started doing a bunch of research on this model. I discovered it has some deep roots, particularly in Western Europe and the Netherlands, and it's had great success. But in North America, we have not really seen so much of an adoption. And that was really the catalyzing moment that really had me excited to um, start working on on this and more not just for a rental platform itself, but to really dive into how we can unlock um, hidden housing supply across Canada. So yeah, (laughs) that's the, the, the general background. Yeah. So you have this, you come back to Kelowna, you have this idea and you're researching it. You're seeing it's been done before and there's a need here. So how did you go from an idea of, well, I could make a difference here. I could create something that has impact to actually doing it. Like what was your next step to creating it, making it more tangible and real? Well, the first step was understanding if this is something that people actually want. So the first thing is, you know, being an academic by background is looking at research. So looking at census data, housing demographics, we quickly found that there's about 12 million bedrooms that sit empty every single night across Canada, or about one third of our housing stock. And in regions like the central Okanagan, we're above average, we're close to 40% of bedrooms that sit empty. So this told us that, okay, from a you know, top-down perspective, there's lots of capacity. But when you look from the bottom up and say, okay, now how many of these people are actually willing to share their homes? And that led to our first pilot project. So we're now in spring of 2018, and I'm full of energy. 
And I'm running around the campus at UBC Okanagan with some postcards I made up, handing them out to students, having lots of conversations, getting lots of positive feedback, a lot of negative feedback, um, taking it all in, and then um, going around the community as well and proposing this idea. But we had about 200 students um, express interest wanting to house through this, this option, but it was difficult getting homeowners. Um, but the catalyzing moment for that is there's an event in Kelowna uh, every spring uh, called the um, Embrace Aging or Engaging in Aging, uh, hosted by uh, Joan Botor from UBC. Uh, and I spoke at a community event at the public library in downtown Kelowna. And at that point in time, we didn't really have any formal processes in place, but we had our, our first host want to sign up right after the event. Um, let's give a short presentation of what we want to accomplish. And then she comes after, uh, so inspired and said, I want to sign up. How do I sign up? And I didn't have a registration form. I didn't have a website up. I really had nothing yet. Uh, so this gave me a lot of hope though. So, okay, well, People actually want to do this, it sounds like. And that really lit a fire. And really, um, I, I worked quite hard over the next few months to promote this program um, through social media channels, through organic channels. And we ended up getting our first 10 hosts registered in the program. And we took 10 of the best suited matches from our students, and we matched them up for their first home share intake. Um, fast forward a few months, we had another 10 hosts sign up, so 20 hosts total and 10 more students in. And that was really the first validation of, of creating a, a home sharing model. Wow. This, I think, is an important lesson for all those listening who have an idea and they want to move forward with it, but they think, oh, I have to have like it all figured out. I have to have the website. I have to have every little you know, nook and cranny kind of detailed, but that's not the case. And I love your story because you essentially were talking about it, feeling if there was a need and there was a need and you created it. Um, that's very inspiring. That's pretty cool. So you now built uh, up the program at that point. You're, you've got some systems in place and whatnot. At what point did you think to yourself, okay, this is something that is going to move, like gain a lot of momentum for us? Yeah, so that point didn't happen yet. Um, we had uh, an idea of a proof of concept, but we had no idea if this was something scalable or viable to be a venture in, it, in itself. Mm -hmm. uh, the concept of home sharing had been tried in Canada since the 1980s, but none of these programs have ever really scaled to anything significant. They might have had 10 or 20 uh, homes in the programs, just maybe up to 50 at times, but just being very small local programs. Uh, it was at that time I met with uh, Kevin Greenwood uh, from NRC. Unfortunately, Kevin's no longer with us, but he's really was monumental in uh, our success. So Kevin became a mentor and allowed us to get uh, some initial uh, development funding from uh, the National Research Council of Canada, NRC, IRAP. And that allowed us to take this concept that we had, this basically MVP of this um, put together program with a, a WordPress site and an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, and Kevin's idea was, how do we make this scalable? Because you can't scale what you have, and unless we can replicate this at scale, it's never going to be a venture. Um, so with Kevin's guidance, uh, we put together a project plan and then end up building the first version uh, of our web application, which we now have a much more polished version of it at our website, happypad.com now, or app.happypad.com uh, for the app link. But that process went on for about uh, six months, developing that out, taking us into 2019. 
sorry, 2019, uh, spring 2019 is when we started that development, taking us into the fall where we then launched this web application. And that's when we started to have idea that, that there's something here. As we ended up scaling from about 20 hosts up to about 300 hosts over just a matter of a couple months. Wow. Um, and this was just some very rudimentary marketing and, and outreach programs. We really didn't know what we're doing for marketing, but things were working. People were excited about this. Um, homeowners liked the idea of helping someone in the community, earning some extra income. Um, it's, it's like Airbnb, but you don't have the responsibilities of it. So there's definitely some interest. Then the pandemic happened. Mm. And I'm just going to pause there. Because all the work we had done came to a standstill. <laughs> we did not, not know if there would be a future for home sharing or, or for shared housing overall. We did not know what the world was going to become. Um, but all this work we had done up to that point uh, all came to pause. And overnight, um, our web traffic dropped about 90% and uh, things were not looking so well. That must have been a very tough time. After all that work. (laughs) It was a very tough time. You know, just doing everything you can, seeing great traction and growth happening, and then Mm -hmm. things beyond your control, just kind of sweeping it away from you. But there's an upside to it. Fast forward a few months through the pandemic, and, you know, we went through a very hard time. We still kept our operations going for our existing people in home sharing arrangements, but we had paused the new onboarding of of hosts uh, and renters for a period of time. Uh, But then we had uh, uh, some outreach by Canada Mortgage and Housing, uh, and we started hearing these stories of how through the pandemic, this housing crisis was getting much worse than ever before. And in particular, older adults and seniors, the the loneliness was increasing at rates never seen before. Uh, This isolation that we had from the the pandemic, um, you know, segregating ourselves created a lot of uh, social issues. So there is this interest um, from the from the federal level of, okay, what initiatives can we do to help with the out of control housing prices, but also the social isolation issues that we're seeing across Canada? So through there, uh, we end up receiving uh, uh, some grant funding through Canada Mortgage and Housing, two granting streams, about $450,000 between the two. And that allowed us to really take Happy Path to the next level and um, really make uh, an emergence out of the pandemic. And the focus of this was taking the existing concept we had of um, matching students with uh, mature homeowners and expanding the scope to see how can we serve a more diverse group of persons with home sharing to understand all the nuances and all the unique benefits that different people can have. One of the key emergencies was what we now call as companion housing. This is matching two older adults to share a home. And a great example of one of our first matches in in that um, segment is uh, in Chilliwack. We had um, an 85-year-old with a 62-year-old. And uh, the older lady uh, was the homeowner, and she did not like cooking. But uh, the younger woman living with her, um, younger 62-year-old, loved cooking. So they made a great pair, and uh, they set an agreement where the younger person would do all the cooking, and uh, her host would buy all the food. And Hmm. that was one of the unique arrangements they made. And they had a, a very wonderful housing arrangement that supported this uh, older woman to continue aging in place. And all through the pandemic, they they shared that home and they were really um, supporters of each other and they had a really wonderful time. 
during one of my trips to Vancouver, I, I stopped by to give them a, a quick visit. And uh, it was really just wonderful to see their energy and just to see how uh, this type of housing arrangement really transformed the, the well-being of both of them. Wow, that is an incredible story. I love that. I know some people who like to cook and some of that don't. <laughs> they, should, they should be matched up as companions. So this is amazing. You're, you're, creating, you're seeing the impact that you're making with Happy Pad. And so now we're, what's coming up for the next five years ahead? Where do you see this moving forward to? Uh, so in the very beginning, um, there's virtually no one in Canada working on this model. Since then, there's been, been more interest. There's a few organizations working on this. Um, but we really see ourselves as, as leading, um, I call this transformation towards a shared housing economy of helping people share homes. And our focus is moving towards how do we become the, develop the ecosystem around shared housing. So a big piece of this is developing the platform. So uh, we've developed, uh, spent a lot of resources in developing our, our app. It functions very similar to the Airbnb app. However, it's designed exclusively for medium to long-term renting. So instead of hosting for vacation renters, you might be hosting a, a student or a, maybe a healthcare worker or maybe a senior that just wants a housing companion for the long term. Um, so, and we're also finding applications of this. Um, so, for example, we have a, a key partner in Ontario that we're um, in conversations with to formalize a partnership. Will they be running a very similar program to HappyPad uh, across uh, Eastern Canada? And they'll be doing it upon our platform and will become uh, key stakeholders working on that. In Metro Vancouver, actually this week, we're launching a very uh, unique new project. It's Happy Pad for Refugees. Uh, this is in collaboration with the Immigration Services Society of BC. And we're uh, starting this as a smaller scale pilot in Metro Vancouver. We're, we're using the Happy Pad program, our application, to house refugees coming in. Um, Syrian, Afghan, Ukraine, and uh, both within and without status, we'll be recruiting homeowners uh, across Metro Vancouver that want to house a refugee uh, or an asylum seeker. And we will uh, do a matchup process with them so they can house them for um, maybe a month or a couple months, all the way up to one year to provide a housing solution for the interim until they can find permanent long-term housing. Most of these refugees coming in, they stay in a hotel for the first one or two weeks, but there's a big gap in providing um, a housing solution between that hotel and when they can find a family home or an apartment or something for the long term. Um, so that's something we're very, very excited about. And we're always looking for new partnerships across Canada to serve uh, senior students, workforce, and uh, many diverse users. Wow. How amazing. Hey, to have an idea to create it. And now you're seeing all these other branches of social service opportunities and impact opportunities. It must feel really good. Yeah, no, it's it's really good. In, in the last few months, especially, we've seen a ton of interest. Uh, you know, it seems like during the pandemic, things were, were very slow. But now, now we're seeing a, a lot of interest in, in shared housing overall. And uh, weekly, we're getting inquiries from from new organizations looking to work with us in some way to to apply uh, shared housing to their community. Wow, very inspiring, Kaylin. Tell me a little bit about the experience of being the lead 
in the forefront. Like I know that it takes a whole team for any of this kind of work to be done. And, um, but for yourself personally, you know, you have this vision, you put your heart and soul into it. Anyone who's an entrepreneur knows how much of yourself goes into a journey like this. How have you maintained, um, or have you maintained uh, that sense of, uh, being invested, but not letting it take you over or what are like, I'm curious about the big challenges that you faced there and some maybe insights and tips that you've learned along the way. Yeah. Um, it's been very challenging. <laughs> I will not put that lightly. So, uh, if there's young entrepreneurs or people wanting to start their own ventures, especially social ventures out there, you need to look at the long term. And is this something that you truly are passionate about? Because truth be told, I've volunteered thousands of hours, many nights hard to sleep. Uh, you know, this is really, um, HEP has really a manifestation of my my greater vision, my, I guess, what I kind of want to give back to society. And uh, it's really my passion. I, I love every, every minute of it. Um, so it's been important, but it does come at a cost. Uh, <laughs> it, it creates a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, um, just managing all the parts. And there's a saying that it, it never gets easier. You just start to go faster. And I remember hearing this many years ago and I thought, oh, that's not true. You know, once you, once you have a team, once you have more funding, you have this and that, things will get easier. But um, no, it's just things just move faster and the same pressures keep on existing. Uh, and that's exactly what we're going through now. We're seeing more momentum, more growth, um, but the but the challenges happen faster, everything's accelerated, and your reaction time needs to be quicker. Mm-hmm. Those decision-making moments, right? Yes. So uh, if you could go back five years to your five-year younger self, what would uh, your advice be? Oh, with my lessons I've learned today, I mean, I, I've made yeah. so many mistakes along the way. Part of it, I, d- I don't know. The pandemic really changed things. It, in a way, it, it, the pandemic I think helped us ultimately more than it hurt us in the end. It creates it created a, a temporary pause on everything we did, but in the end, it, it I feel that the pandemic changed the mindsets of people and it really changed our economic conditions in a way that better supports uh, shared housing overall. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but going back five years, I would, I would focus more on diversifying myself. Um, five years ago, I, I started with a very, an engineering mind, a very technical mind, and I didn't really understand the importance of, of marketing, of sales, of networking and the, the human connections. I was very, very transactional and very technical focused. So that's the, the one thing I would tell myself is, you know, focus, focus more on, on the people and the connections and less on the technicalities. And you'll figure out those technical details as you, as you need to come by. As in retrospect, I realized I invested a lot of time and energy into understanding the technical components, which they change all the time. But it's, it's understanding the, the mission and the vision and really getting your advocates and your followers is, is what's most important. And that's something that can't be taken away from you. Mm, that is such amazing advice. I know my coaching work and mentorship work with entrepreneurs, the number one thing I personally always say, much agreement with yourself, it's like it's all about the relationships and the connections and spend spend more time on that. <laughs> more time. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. And it, it's a lot more fun, I think. Um, you know, I, I coming from an engineering background, you, you don't learn much about uh, human relationships or anything, but uh, it's, it's so rewarding when you just get to talk about people who share the same passion for you. Um, and all the challenges you face building a venture, um, you will never find the answers by Googling as much as you can, by thinking about as much as you can. You just need to go talk to people as in the minds of all of your customers are your answers. And mm-hmm. unless you're talking to them, you'll, you'll never truly discover what people want. Mm-hmm. That is so good. You, um, as the CEO, have a team that works with you. How do you maintain uh, a culture of passion and purpose without burnout? What is your secret sauce for all of that? Oh, <laughs> that's that's a tough one. Um, it starts with just being true to your values. Um, you know, I, I have my values of what I believe in, and I stick to them. And you know, there's this general purpose of why happy pad exists and you know happy pad it's it's something I, I created but it's its own entity and it needs to be honored for for what it is and what it represents so that's where i like to start is we're all team members that you know choose to be here because we share this equal passion for this objective mm-hmm. and especially as a young venture this um this venture we're working on is, is like an infant. It, it needs a lot of support. We need to make sure we, we feed it every day. We're always looking after it, monitoring it all the time. But as, as it starts to get older and, and starts to starts to walk, starts to run, become more independent, then our roles start to change as team members. So being very clear and transparent with communications, I'd say, is, is number one. Just making sure that everyone understands why they're doing what they're doing ensuring they feel they have a purpose and that their work is meaningful um, and ensuring you have the right team members um, that share this, this, this vision. We've uh, had lots of turnover in our uh, company since the very beginning. Uh, some team members uh, provided, you know, immense contributions and uh, there's other team members where, you know, I'm, I'm probably at fault a lot of times is just not doing a good job communicating the purpose of what we do. And this often led to challenges um, later, later down the road when it, when it came to making uh, you know, operational decisions in, in leadership direction. So making sure you're transparent and you choose people that truly also share your passion, I'd, I'd say are the foundation. Yeah. Isn't that so important? Is this, this, it's a challenge though, isn't it sometimes to um, find those kind of people and help nurture it? Is there a way that you, uh, a system in place, you uh, work to attract and recruit and main, retain those kind of people? Yeah. I, I realize these, it all, all really comes with building relationships mm-hmm. and finding people that, that are there for the right reason. You know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of just putting out job posts and just hire the first person that comes along with a good resume. I find most of those, most times you find people looking, looking for work, but not necessarily looking to help address the, the major issue, the major social problems that we are. Um, so for instance, um, some of the best people I've met along the way have been through organic connections. Um, mm. 
One in particular was uh, an advisor of ours at Canon Mortgage and Housing. We were working on that that project um, about uh, half a year after that project ended. Uh, we kept our conversations going, and then they ended up joining our, our team for a period of time to help with some of our uh, growth strategy. And you know, they became a very important um, team member, and uh, it all developed because of those those organic relationships and just the mutual trust with one another. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I am so inspired by your story and the impact that you're making. Do you have a favorite book or a couple books that you just are digging into or have read that you definitely recommend for other people? Oh, yes. <laughs> one, one book, and I'm going to start with foundations. One book that everyone needs to read if you haven't is The E-Myth. Oh. The E-Myth, um, you don't sound f- familiar with it, Trisha. No, I'm not. I'm going to write that one down right now. Yes. No, everyone needs to read this book, okay. especially if you're just starting your own venture or business. Um, the E-Myth talks about the three essential components of a business founder. Um, you have, uh, sometimes we use the, the hipster, the hacker, and the hustler uh, phrases, whereas you need someone who can is a technician, they can build it. You need an operator who's the manager who can keep things running smooth. And you need the the hipster, someone who can market and sell this and communicate it. And most people, when they start their ventures or businesses, they're really good at one of these three things. Usually they're a very good technician. They're good at they're good at their trade or they're good at their, their work, but they lack these other skill sets. This is a book I wish I had read many years before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would have helped me out a lot. Um, so that's that's definitely a book that I would I would highly recommend. The E Myth. Okay, it's on my reading list. I'll add it to my Audible files, my Audible uh, list. <laughs> so you've done all this work. You're at this place now. And one of the things that I find a lot of entrepreneurs chat with me about is the concept of like, how do you know when you reach a place of um, feeling successful? I think it's a feeling more than an actual milestone because for most of us, we reach something and then being the entrepreneurial spirits we are, we have like, just keeps the bar keeps getting raised. How do you know, or how do you celebrate? How do you embody that level of uh, success? And, you know, what is your, um, I guess, mindset around success and celebrating the wins when you get them? And how do you keep yourself moving forward without sometimes the the darker side of entrepreneurialism that can kind of, you know, soak in. Yeah. Um, you know, this idea of, of success, it, it often creeps. And mm-hmm. when I first started working on this, I set certain milestones that once I achieve, you know, this, one of those milestones was to, you know, work with, with a federal government level. Um, that was my ultimate goal. And we ended up reaching that a few years later. And once I reached that, I realized, you know, this is not the end, but it's really just the beginning. So those those milestones of what success is really have have gone a long ways. And truth be told, I, I never thought Hapad would grow to become um, the venture it is. I see tremendous tremendous potential for impact, not just in Canada but but globally from it. Um, but how do I measure measure success? Um, I see it's ultimately by fulfilling the mission of, of what happy pet does. And that's to create a, a more sustainable future within housing and to help unlock this hidden housing supply. So I would identify success as when our organization is being able to make meaningful impact in every community across Canada. And when you visit those communities, they, they know about it and they use it. Hmm. Yeah, they've adopted it, and it's part of the 
like, oh, just go check out on Hoppy Pad, right? That kind of thing. Yeah, exa- exactly. So, you know, I'd say that that's, you know, if, if we're making meaningful impact um, uh, across across the country, then, then that's success. And, you know, I also believe success is also building a legacy and, and building a, a team around what you do. So mm-hmm. I'm heavily involved in, in most of the daily activities today, but, you know, once the organization is able to, you know, have a smooth operating structure without um, all of my, all my assistants, then, you know, that's another, another key milestone to, to get there. So, so that this, you know, Hapad really truly becomes an embodiment of it, of itself. And it can be separate from, separate from me. Uh, I, I would consider that another criteria. Mm-hmm. Well, no doubt you will get there and all the impact that you and your team get to make along the way and the stories that you get to curate and hear about and hopefully share. I mean, I love that story about the, the those two people in, where was it, Abbotsford area? Chilliwack. Chilliwack. Well, it's close, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> the Chilliwack area. But those stories are so powerful. And, and again, you know, it, it's so amazing to me when I get to do this podcast or how I get to do this podcast, chat with people like you who you have an idea you take action, you create it, even when it's not easy, because I know it's not always easy. Most of the time, it's not easy. <laughs> it's, never easy. <laughs> it's never easy. God, you know. And then here you are sharing some of the stories of probably just a few of the many, many successes. So uh, you know, kudos to you and your team for making impact, for having a passion for impact. And hopefully you'll come back on in five years and we can have another conversation about all the lessons learned and where Happy Pad is at that point. But so appreciate your time and for, you know, just giving of yourself a little bit here for our audience. And yeah, thank you very much for being on Passion for Impact. Thank you, Tricia. Any final words about, I don't know, insight or inspiration that you'd want to share with an entrepreneur who's just getting started on their own social impact journey? Yeah, I mean, I encourage everyone just to go out there and pursue what they want to to achieve. And don't be afraid just just to reach out and ask questions to those who have ventured before you. Um, if everyone wants to reach out to me and share their ideas for for their um, social impact venture, I'm happy to to support them in that. And I encourage you to just reach out to your networks and just start to validate the the idea you have and start to build a team and a culture right from the beginning. That is very generous and kind of you. Thank you, Kaylin from Happy Pad. That's happypad.com. Much appreciated. Thank you. Passion for Impact is sponsored by the Inspire Store. Need a gift that inspires? Inspire Store features exclusive ethically made goods and jewelry that embodies these three words. Yes, you can. Every purchase supports Food Banks Canada. Plus, you will receive Trisha Miltimore's popular personal development Shift Up e-course. Empowerment awaits you. Shop with impact at inspirestore.org. If you love learning how to live and lead in a caring and fulfilling way, and you find this show inspiring, please share with your friends, rate and review this podcast. Passion for Impact, it's brought to you by Rock Your Leadership. We train leaders on how to grow success, drive change, and not burn out. Visit passionigniter.ca for more details. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Passion for Impact podcast. Visit passionigniter.ca forward slash podcast to subscribe for episode notes, links, and special offers from show guests. Cast your vote. Make your impact. One socially conscious choice at a time.